Hawley isn't joshing, but the Congress is overriding. The next question, when will he, yes he, be leaving? It's a happy new year, we hope, on The Political Junkie. You like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike for president. And Ike to you, and Ike to me, I don't care how you quote it. Come on and vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, and we'll come out on top. Vote for Richard Nixon and Henry Cabot Lodge, cause they're the ones to lead the USA. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to episode 357 of The Political Junkie. I'm Ken Rudin. Happy New Year. Donald Trump may be leaving town in two weeks, but a Republican Party that has assumed many of his worst tendencies will still be here. And if just one of its candidates in Tuesday's Georgia runoffs manages to win, it will be more powerful than ever. Joe Biden can put out as big a wish list as he wants— but a GOP Senate is known for making life miserable for Democratic presidents, as Supreme Court Justice Merrick Garland can attest. But it's a more brazen Republican Party than we saw four years ago. The fact that we're still talking about the legitimacy of Biden's election in January, for crying out loud, is just one indication of the madness. Josh Hawley, the Missouri senator who has, in effect, just kicked off his presidential candidacy for 2024, says he owes it to the millions of Americans who voted for Trump to challenge Biden's certification on Wednesday. Where would the republic be without you, Josh? Hawley is smart enough to know that his stunt is not going to accomplish anything other than to delay Biden's certification for a couple of hours, and his claim that he's only doing what the Democrats tried to do to George W. Bush's certification in 2005 is laughable. Barbara Boxer, who joined the Democrats in that effort in 2005, is on this week's program to explain the difference. What Hawley is obviously doing, besides joining in an effort to subvert democracy, is putting his name in the headlines, something he desperately wants, as he hopes to fill what could be, or not, a Trumpless vacuum in the GOP on the road to 24. However, Ben Sass, the Nebraska senator, who's also thought to be eyeing the White House, called Hawley's move a dangerous ploy. Let's be clear what is happening here, Sass wrote in an open letter to his constituents. We have a bunch of ambitious politicians who think there's a quick way to tap into the president's populist base without doing any real long-term damage. But they're wrong, and this issue is bigger than anyone's personal ambitions. If nothing else, Hawley's move puts every Republican in the House and Senate on the record of whether their loyalty is, as the Washington Post's Ruth Marcus wrote, to President Trump or to the Constitution. People say that Trump isn't responsible for this, that Republicans have been heading this way long before 2016. But when has a party seriously sought to overturn a presidential election, at least in an ostensibly small-D Democratic country? When has a president ever believed in alternate reality and refused to accept the results? Why have resentment and conspiracy theories and authoritarianism replaced conservative values? I'm very interested to see how the vote goes on Wednesday. Not that there's any possibility Biden won't be certified. It's how many Republicans vote for this madness. One Republican who won't be part of this vote is Luke Letlow, the congressman-elect from Louisiana's 5th District, who died from COVID on December 29th. 
He had just won his seat in a December 3rd runoff where he campaigned with a mask, but where most of the people attending his rallies were maskless. 348,000 Americans dead, and they still don't get it. Governor John Bell Edwards is expected to call a special election for March to fill the seat. And that leads to a sad trivia question this week. Who is the last person who was elected to a House or Senate seat for the first time, but who died before ever getting sworn in? Send your answer to trivia at krpoliticaljunkie.com. We'll select a winner at random from the bunch. The winner will get a fabulous vintage Political Junkie button. Again, that's trivia at krpoliticaljunkie.com. We'll reveal the answer and winner of our last trivia question later in the show, so stay tuned. had tied or closely divided Senates before, but never has there been one election where control of the Senate is at stake. In fact, this time it's two elections. Two Republican senators from Georgia, David Perdue and the recently appointed Kelly Loeffler, failed to break 50% of the vote on November 3rd. So both were forced into runoffs, which take place on Tuesday, January 5th. If the GOP wins just one of the two, it will retain control of the Senate. For Democrats to dislodge Mitch McConnell, they are going to have to win both. John Ossoff will face Purdue, and the Reverend Raphael Warnock is pitted against Leffler. So much, including and especially President Biden's agenda, is at stake on Tuesday. How we managed to get Greg Bluestein for this week's show is pretty special. He's the political reporter with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who has been covering the campaign nonstop. So, Greg, let me say, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat on The Political Junkie this week. Hey, glad to join you. Well, thank you. And, you know, I can't begin to imagine what it's been like these past few weeks to be in Georgia and get saturated by 24-7 TV and radio ads. How, I don't know, how overwhelming has it been? Uh, it's been overwhelming, to say the least. Uh, half a billion dollars worth of, <laughs> worth of ads are out there. And my children, who are 7 and 10, are, are actually seeing a lot of it just on their YouTube videos. Uh, the, other, the other morning, I woke up to a question from my daughter. Did Raphael Warnock really run over his wife's foot? That's how bad things have gotten here in Georgia. Well, did he? Uh, that's, that's an interesting question. Uh, Republicans have, have launched attack ads featuring um, uh, footage of a police investigation into that. It was right around March. Um, and, of course, he says, um, he says that didn't happen. Police investigators um, did not charge him with any crimes. Uh, and she's, his, his ex-wife is sticking to that story. But that just shows you how volatile things are, that, that you know, um, domestic disputes are becoming fodder for the campaign trail. Well, I never, I haven't heard that story, but I have heard stuff that uh, Warnock is anti-Semitic, he's anti-Israel, and I know John Ossoff has defended, who's Jewish, by the way, who has has defended Warnock, who's African American, but but it's gotten ugly, hasn't it? It is so ugly here. Um, it is uh, the 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 volume has been ratcheted up to to you know it's it's 
the the rhetoric is nonstop. It is hard to determine even 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 fact checkers who have disputed things who have tried to set the records straight are being are falling on deaf ears. Uh, there's been so much being bandied about about people being crooks, people being liars, uh, people being uh, all you know communist, socialist, you name it. Those titles, those names have been thrown around. And uh, right, the uh, the Republicans have uh, benefited from their jobs financially. They've taken, they've used their offices to benefit financially. That's also one of the charges. Yeah, that is at the core of of the the Democratic line of attack. Is that both Senator Leffler and Senator Perdue, um, you know, had a series of well timed stock transactions aimed at benefiting from and profiting off of the pandemic, uh, and particularly Senator Leffler, who is part of a. Uh, you know, closed door senators only meeting in late January. You know, the, the attack lines. She immediately went and and spent and took advantage of that information to help her help herself. Uh, and the Republicans have fought back, saying that a they've been cleared uh, of any sort of criminal wrongdoing. That the ethics committee, which usually never sanctions any senators, but the Senate Ethics Committee has also let them off the hook. And that um, that, and that I think most importantly, they say they don't do any of their own traits anyway. What is early turnout looking like? Enormous. <laughs> it's staggering. It's astounding. I don't know how best to describe it because you're at basically you're at 2.8 plus million early voters already. That means that I'm sure by uh, by Tuesday, by runoff day, we'll be at surpassing 3 million. That's by far a record for a statewide runoff where you know, you're, you're lucky to get 2 million votes in the statewide runoff in Georgia. Um, you're going to probably double that. Um, when it's all said and done, which also reflects the fact that, hey, Georgians get the importance of these races. We understand the high stakes. It has not fallen on deaf ears here that Senate control hangs in the balance. Well, uh, as one indication of how important it is, both President Trump and Joe Biden will be campaigning in the state on Monday. So if anybody needs to be convinced that that it's important, uh, here's one reason, right? Yeah. And look, these visits are crucial. Uh, you know, they're, they're all, we can always say that they have high stakes with these presidential visits, but for Republicans right now, they are relying so heavily on a big moment from President Trump. And the reason why is that early votes, all signs in early voting point to Democrats building a pretty good cushion for themselves. But they did say that about Democrats in the general election around the country, that the early votes was going to give the Democrats a big win and for most of the country, the Republicans did just fine, if not better than expected, despite the early Democratic vote. Yeah, but not in Georgia. Yeah, not in Georgia, <laughs> right. Know, I, I mean, look, Biden won Georgia by 12,000 votes, but a win is a win. And the early vote gave, gave him that cushion he needed yep. in Georgia. Uh, right now, signs are pointing to another similarly big early voting cushion. African-American voters who usually don't turn out in droves for these statewide runoffs in Georgia, they are. I mean, or, you know, they're, they're, they're turning at disproportionately higher levels, not, not like eye-popping levels, but higher levels. And, and I think even more importantly, um, Metro Atlanta and other and majority black areas in rural Georgia, you're also seeing higher voter participation rates than you would see in Republican areas. So Republicans are banking on a huge Tuesday runoff day turnout. And that's why President Trump's visit to Northwest Georgia, where where, where early voting is lagging. I mean, it's lagging behind every other part of the state, really, uh, is so crucial for Republicans. They're, they're praying right now that he delivers the message that they want him to, which is to come out and vote. And he spends a lot more time talking about senators than his own 
internal feuding with, with Georgia Republican leaders. There were some people who were wondering whether his visit will help or hurt Republicans. I kind of think it will energize them. What say you? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a big debate here. Look, I mean, re- Republicans have been calling this election the firewall, the, the only obstacle standing between, uh, between total Democratic control in Washington and what they see as a socialist future for the country. At the same time, they're also not acknowledging President-elect Biden's uh, victory. So it's, it's been a weird kind of two-step around this. But, but right now we're hearing from a lot of Republicans who still harbor doubts about the election, the integrity of the election. They still buy into President Trump's false claims of widespread irregularities and voter fraud. Uh, but they're still saying, hey, despite all that, we still want our vote counted. There's no way to tell, though, um, how deeply... Uh, pervasive this this sort of conflicting messaging is that hey vote go vote in a rigged election because we're you know we're talking to a lot of voters who are showing up at rallies and events who are who are expected to go vote Republican there's no telling how many who don't show up to these types of events who might just say hey it's not worth my time President Trump says this is all preordained anyway why even bother there have been some pro-Trump fringe characters claiming the election is going to be rigged just like the presidential election was and and people shouldn't vote. I can't imagine that sentiment being widespread in the state, but it has been reported. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I've reported it. Um, I went to one of these sort of um, these pro-Trump rallies up in Alpharetta, which is an Atlanta suburb, um, not exactly fringe, you know, not kind of sparsely populated rural territory that's 80 percent Republican. It is it is part of like the, you know, the, the shifting uh, suburbs where a more moderate brand of Republicans live. And it was Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell, two pro-Trump lawyers. Sidney Powell uh, once was on the Trump campaign uh, legal team. Um, I expected, I don't know, 50, 100 people to show up, a lot of gawkers, a lot of people just kind of wandering by to see the spectacle. I was amazed to see 1,500-plus people packed into an equestrian uh, ring uh, in this park and eating up what what Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood were saying. And, And Lynn Wood said point blank, boycott these elections to send a, a message to Republican leaders. And after that, I talked to, you know, a dozen or so people. Um, some of them said they were voting for, for, for Senators Loeffler and Purdue. Others genuinely said, no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to vote. They, they either said so because they, wa- they agreed with Lynn Wood, they wanted to send a message to Governor Kemp and, and whoever else, but some of them actually expressed genuine concern about whether or not, h- how do they vote? I mean, they've been told that mail-in balloting system is fraudulent, and now they're being told that, you know, the Dominion voting systems that Georgia uses uh, are, have some sort of, you know, crazy algorithm. Um, this has all been discredited thoroughly, by the way, but hey, these people believe it, and they were genuinely confused. Like, how do I make my ballot count? I think adding to all this confusion is the fact that, that Trump has made it clear that he's not happy with Governor Brian Kemp, and he, and he actually called on Kemp to resign that can't be what the Republicans need to hear just days before the vote. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, President Trump is going to be here in a few days. And he's, he's not only is he continuing his internal warfare with the Georgia leaders, he's escalating it. I mean, he took the step of calling for Governor Kemp to step down to resign because Governor Kemp, uh, I don't know what he thinks Governor Kemp is going to do, but he wants Governor Kemp to overturn the election results. And the governor has no power to do so, even if he wanted to do so, even if that wasn't going to be tossed out of the courts in a hot minute, right? So he is, and it's not just Governor Kemp, he's attacking Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, he's attacking the state's 
top elections official, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, and these are all Republicans who he's leveling these you know vicious attacks against. And at a time when Republicans are trying to project a sense of unity, they're trying to all rally behind Senators Leffler and Purdue for, for, for these high-stakes elections. When I asked Governor Kemp about it the other day, he said, hey, look, I'm not, I don't have time to I'm dealing with the vaccine. I'm dealing with the outbreak. I'm, I'm dealing with all these other things at the state level. I don't have time to watch every single tweet. But all this is a distraction. I would ask you about polls, but... I think we saw basically the polls last month and, and, you know, throughout the country, you know, way off the rails. Um, And it seems like the polls were showing that Republican voters were being undercounted. But have you any have you seen any numbers that you can rely on or just let's just wait for Tuesday? I mean, it's really hard to poll an electorate like this. So many people are on vacation. They've tuned out. You know, it's over the holidays. Um, we haven't seen too much polling. this. I will say that the polls in Georgia before November were generally accurate. But in Georgia, we didn't have some of those issues. Um, most of the polls showed a deadlock, and hey, <laughs> you couldn't get much closer than about 12,000 votes. So we haven't had the same depth and breadth of problems that other states had. But at the same time, we haven't seen too many polls. The one, or, you know, one, one, of the, one of the polls showed the Democrats with a six- or seven-point lead, which I don't think any of the campaigns believe. Um, most of the people I talk to and I trust all see it as basically a coin toss, that it is very, very evenly divided, and it's going to be really hard to predict because of the kind of Trump wild card out there. A lot of Republic, the Republican Party seems to be taking some heat because of Mitch McConnell uh, refusing to you know, allow the $2,000 checks for stimulus relief. He said, let's just go with the 600 But both Purdue and Leffler have broken with McConnell on that. And that's what Trump wants as well. He wants the $2,000 checks. Does that help? Is that, is, has that become an issue in Georgia at all? Does it helping the Republicans? Whew. Yeah, this is a major issue in Georgia because really for, for most of last year, at least, at least most of this runoff campaign, if not uh, you know, since the summer, uh, the Democrats, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, have been calling for $2,000 stimulus checks, just like their Democratic counterparts in the House and Senate have, um, saying that if they're elected, then they'll make sure to clear the way for heftier stimulus payments. While uh, David Perdue, the Republican incumbent, one of the races was on the record saying that a uh, more generous uh, uh, targeted uh, payroll tax relief was, would be better off than, than more stimulus checks. And remember, he's a deficit hawk. I mean, he, he ran on a, on a platform in 2014 of cutting the national debt so really for the last week or so, there was silence uh, or, or, or sort of wishy-washy statements um, from, um, from, the, from the Republicans about whether or not they would back and support the president's call for a $2,000 stimulus checks. And it was only a couple of days ago when they finally went on the record. Both, both of them went to Fox News and said, yeah, we support the $2,000 checks. And, it, and again, it, it did two things. It, it took away an argument from the Democrats and it let them ally themselves even closer with President Trump. But I should say three things, but also, you know, it risked it, it forced them to make common cause with the very Democrats who they've been characterizing as socialists and the big and big spenders. Right. Yep. Big spending socialists. Well, here they are also backing that same sort of line. You know, I hate to even suggest this and let alone think this. But if Tuesday is close, uh, could we possibly see lawsuits? Oh, yeah. And look, I've suggested it. We put it on the front page of the, of the Sunday oh, edition a lot. of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution yeah, last week, basically saying that 
um, if the election is anywhere near as close as all the analyst polls and, and, and everyone else thinks it is, um, then what we've seen in Georgia, which is still going on, I mean, as I'm speaking to you, there's still tweets out there for the president and some of his top supporters saying that, that he won Georgia. So what we've been seeing for the last few weeks in Georgia um, could just be a taste of the drama to come after January 5th. That is the, uh, the, the nightmare of so many people on both sides of the aisle here in Georgia, and, and I fear, too, that that is what we're in for. Greg Bluestein is a political reporter with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He's on top of all things runoff for Tuesday. Greg, you are at the center of the political universe, <laughs> and you're doing great stuff. I, I, your stuff is great. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, that means the world to me. Thank you so much. time to reveal the answer and winner of our last trivia question, which was, who was the last House member to join a new administration and watch their seat go to the other party in a special election? The answer, John McHugh. He was an upstate Republican congressman who became President Obama's Secretary of the Army in 2009. The winner of the special election that year was Bill Owens, a Democrat. And the randomly selected winner is Lori Howard of Peoria, Illinois. Lori wins the coveted Political Junkie button. Don't forget, you can always find our political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. March along, sing a song with the army of the free. Count the Missouri Senator Josh Hawley announced this week that he would join a bunch of angry House Republicans and challenge Joe Biden's victory when the issue of certification comes to Congress on Wednesday. No one thinks it'll accomplish anything. Perhaps it'll delay Biden's official win for a couple of hours. But for Hawley, who is clearly looking at the 2024 presidential race, the move hopes to send a signal that he should be seen as the heir apparent to Donald Trump, who will be 78 years old during the next election. Hawley explained his decision on Fox News. I mean, somebody has to stand up here. You've got 74 million Americans who feel disenfranchised, who feel like their vote doesn't matter. And this is the one opportunity that I have as a United States senator. This process right here, my one opportunity to stand up and say something. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. Hawley, trying to beat back criticism, pointed out that the Democrats did the same thing in 2005 after President George W. Bush's re-election. But he said the media had no problem with the 2005 challenge, only this one. 
Well, first of all, I, I don't recall hearing the Democrats make any such outrageous claims when they were the ones who were objecting during the Electoral College certification in 2004 and 2016. Democrats have done this for years in order to raise concerns about election integrity. Now when Republicans, 74 million Americans, have concerns about election integrity, we're supposed to just sit down and shut up? Back in 2005, the late Ohio Congresswoman Stephanie Tubbs-Jones challenged the certification. She insisted that there were irregularities with the vote in her home state, a state that voted for Bush and essentially gave him the victory. She was joined in her challenge by Senator Barbara Boxer of California. For a challenge to come to a vote, a senator has to join the effort. That's why Hawley's move is significant, and that's what made Boxer's move significant. But is Hawley correct? Is what he and the Republicans are doing the same as what Boxer and the Democrats did in 2005? It's an important question, and that's why we have Barbara Boxer on The Political Junkie this week to answer it. Senator Boxer, it's an honor to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Ken. Thank you. Well, the House Republicans who are bringing this challenge to the floor, and it's, they're led by Mo Brooks of Alabama, they know it's their last chance to overturn the election and give Trump another four years. But back in 2005, the goal was, I mean, you weren't trying to overturn the election, correct? Of course not. As a matter of fact, John Kerry had already conceded to George W. Bush. He had nothing to do with this challenge. And Stephanie Tubbs-Jones came to see me. I'll never forget it. And she said, I can't believe what happened in Ohio, particularly in Cleveland, where that was her district. And I said, well, tell me. I knew Stephanie. I had tremendous love and respect for her. She had been a judge before she became a member of Congress. She had taken a seat of the great Lou Stokes. And I respected her judgment. And she said, Barbara, I want to tell you what happened. And she showed me photographs of people waiting online in the rain with an umbrella in one hand and holding a child in the other hand and people freezing and wet and waiting in line hours, some nine hours, many giving up. And then she said the reason was there were no Machines. There were two machines in these black precincts compared to like 20 machines in white precincts. And she said provisional ballots were thrown out, etc. So I said, I trust you. Show me all the proof of this. She showed me all the reports and so on. And um, I said, I'll join you. And she was elated. And we said up front in our speeches and to the press, this has nothing to do with overturning an election. We want to take some time to focus on voter suppression. And I was very proud to join her. Yeah, I remember even uh, Sherrod Brown, who was a member of the House back then, he also talked about looking at four to six hours uh, waiting in line, especially in minority neighborhoods. You know, we're still seeing those same problems today, 16 years later. Yes, and what I want to point out, Ken, is as... If you have a minute to just listen to what I said, please. It was on the floor. It was, um, look, we're calling attention to this, and we have a remedy. And Senator Clinton and I and others wrote legislation to give resources to counties across the country that needed to upgrade their machines and needed to get more machines because it, it's it breaks your heart to see this and. And so we've never really corrected it. I think now the mindset is such 
and it's really remarkable. And people like Stacey Abrams deserve huge amount of credit. You know, we're going to stay here as long as it takes, and it's going to be a community activity. But it's ridiculous. One of the purposes of our bills was to say that people could not stand online for more than an hour. And if they were standing online for more than an hour, then people, the counties had to explain why. That isn't right. You know, you don't have a right to vote, really, if, if you have a job. You say, I'm voting, I'll be right back, and then you can't vote and come right back. Right. Are you going to lose your job? It's just not really practical. You know, I remember at the time the, the Republicans were absolutely furious by this, by this effort. Uh, here's a great quote. Tom DeLay, the House Majority Leader from Texas, here's what he said. He said, the purpose of this petition is not justice but noise. It is a crime against the dignity of American democracy. I'd love to know what I'd love yeah, I'd love to know what Delay would say about what these Trumpsters are doing now. Here's the deal. We were vilified, and they're still saying I was a crazy lunatic or something, you know, <laughs> because they're not looking at what we did. And, and I will admit I was not popular that day because it took one hour, and that's, you know, people don't like to have to listen for an hour, <laughs> even in the greatest deliberative <laughs> body. And um, I just felt it was so important. Now, what's happening, happening here now, let's compare it. You have had at least 60 court cases which have shown that, in fact, the election had no fraud. You have Trump's own person stating it was the most secure election in history. And you have a delusional man in the White House who is orchestrating this, whereas in our case, John Kerry really had nothing to do with it. He conceded it was over and out, you know, we were just doing this for the stated reason, to call attention to voter suppression. And, in a, you know, we were kind of ahead of our time. But I do remember some Democrats, I guess the Democratic leadership, they distanced themselves from the effort. Did you get a lot of pushback from your fellow Democrats? Oh, yes. Yeah. I, get pu- I got pushback for a lot of things <laughs> in my <laughs> life. But, you know, you know you're doing something when people get annoyed, you have to look at it. Why is it? Well, it's unpleasant sometimes. But I have to say, Harry Reid, he, he, he wasn't part of it at all, but he said some wonderful things on the floor that this needed to be looked at. I was very grateful. Look, all of them were annoyed at me because they then had to vote, and I, I didn't ask anyone to join me in the vote. I said, this is just a protest, and no one did join me in the vote. It was the only time in my life... The cheese stands alone. You know, that was it. I was alone. They but always, I was proud. I was proud. They always talk about Tom Coburn or Jesse Helms being Senator No. You were Senator No that day. Well, for that day, but it wasn't really No. Uh, it was about right. Senator Yes for electoral reform. And we called it electoral justice. That's what we said. We were standing up for electoral justice. And I said, you know, we fight for criminal justice. We fight for, you know, all kinds of social justice. This is electoral justice, and 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 I think we did make a we did make a ripple. Um, we were able to get hearings on our bill, but the Republicans blocked it. Well, when all was said and done, I'm going to play, play a little piece of tape. This is Vice President Dick Cheney, the President of the Senate, uh, announcing this: The votes for President of the United States are as follows. George W. Bush of the state of Texas has received 286 votes. 
John F. Kerry of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts has received 251 votes. The purpose of the joint session, having been concluded pursuant to Senate Concurrent Resolution No. 1, 109th Congress, the chair declares the joint session dissolved. Senator Boxer, how does it feel to hear Josh Hawley comparing what you did in 2005 to what he's doing today? I don't care what he does. He's trying to uh, put himself in a better place. So, I mean, I guess it's sort of a backhanded compliment to say, well, I'm doing what Barbara Boxer That's kind of a joke. <laughs> um, but I don't care what he says. The fact of the matter is the president is orchestrating this. The president cannot accept defeat. The president doesn't understand democracy. The Republican Party, they've been his puppets. And sad for them, and the waning hours of this Trump presidency, they're continuing to be his puppets. And 60 court cases at least, most secure election in history, say the Trump administration, and they're complaining about the vote. Um, the other point I'd make that's kind of, in a way, it's amusing if it wasn't so serious. Here you have the Republicans always saying they're the states' rights party, they're the states' rights party. Well, the good news is that we have a system that is not centralized. I shudder to think if there was a national, uh, you know, vote that the presidents and all his people, uh, the president and all his people or any president could actually control. No, it's done in a disparate way. Uh, and, and, all, and all of a sudden, <laughs> the Republicans are mad at the states for running their own elections. How dare they? By the way, doing it really, really well. Is it fair to say, is it accurate to say that uh, once Hawley and the Republicans do their thing and when it fails, that will be it for challenging Joe Biden's victory? Oh, yes, I think there's nothing they can do. But I will I will raise this red flag. If there were more Republicans like Hawley and if they ran the House and the Senate, I've, I worry about elections in the future. So I think we really need to protect our democracy and put up some more checks and balances. It's truly, if they ran everything and they had enough people who would feed this uh, man in the White House and feed his uh, criminality, uh, you know, they could overturn it. Yeah, they could. They could overturn, they could overturn Let's say it was very close, and it was one state that would have made the difference. And they controlled both houses. They could steal it. And, you know, no matter what a state said. So we've got to take a hard look at everything when this is over. And uh, better minds than mine, people who are constitutional scholars, you know, have to figure this out. Because there is a scenario where they could steal an election. You know, people who aren't well-meaning and, and people who aren't really in favor of democracy but just want power. So it, it has raised a lot of red flags. But this election is going to be fine because Joe did so well, and he took he he won this by so much. Barbara Boxer, a Democrat from California, served 10 years in the House before winning election to the Senate in 1992. She was reelected three more times and announced her retirement in 2016 when she was succeeded by someone by the name of Kamala Harris. Senator Boxer, thank you so much for this 
trip down memory lane. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now I'm suffering from post-traumatic stress, but I'll get over it. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Happy New Year. You too. Thank Bye. You. Bye-bye. That's it for this week's show. Don't forget, you can always find my political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. If you've got comments, questions, or complaints, send an email to ken at krpoliticaljunkie.com. You can also tweet me at Ken Rudin or shoot me a message on the show's Facebook page. And you can follow my button of the day on Instagram at thepoliticaljunkie. Political Junkie is made possible thanks to the support of our listeners and donors. Your generous contributions are most appreciated. Keep them coming at krpoliticaljunkie.com slash donate. I'm Ken Rudin. Thanks for listening. I wish you a very happy new year. We somehow survived 2020 and will survive this year too. In fact, I think it's going to be a good one. But you must keep vigilant. Wear a mask. And please be safe. I'll see you soon.